You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Celtic Stuff Live. Welcome to Celtic Stuff Live on CLNS Radio, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for Boston sports. And guess what? I know. It's been a couple of weeks, and I apologize. We've definitely been running into a little bit of technical difficulties, but we've worked through it. I actually changed uh, providers for recording our interviews, and I have a sweet new studio thanks to Spreaker, which is a fantastic um, service. If you haven't used them, I'm just going to give them a shout-out. They're not a sponsor of the show or anything, but I am completely thrilled with the studio that they make available uh, for people to record podcasts. It's a nice service. It's also a distribution platform as well. So any of you podcasters out there listening to the show or any aspiring podcasters, I highly recommend Spreaker uh, for your podcast. We are going to have, joining us today, Chris Forsberg from ESPN Boston to get us kind of kicked back on track. And Chris, a big fan uh, or a big uh, guest for our show. We've always had a ton of fun, and we're just a couple of weeks away from training camp, so I'm really excited to get back to talking to Celtics basketball. But the off-season interview series has been fantastic as well. It's been a great way to spend the off-season, and I, again, apologize for the break since right before Labor Day. Even did an interview with Eric Weiss, which I believe we're going to uh, re-record again this week and get out to you as a second episode. But Eric uh, from Draft Express did a did a full 90-minute interview, and then, of course, we weren't able to upload it. The audio quality just wasn't there. So looking forward to uh, doing that interview again and getting it out to all of you loyal listeners. Um, we're going to get right into the interview, but before we do, just a reminder that you can follow Celtic Stuff Live on Twitter at CSL underscore Tweet Live, as well as your host, uh, myself, at CSL underscore Justin, and my co-host, John, at CSL underscore Duke, who will be joining me again very soon as we get underway with the season you can follow the entire clns radio network at clns radio don't forget our facebook page facebook.com backslash clns fans and download the clns radio app for ios and android simply search clns radio in your app marketplace and finally 
and coming right up, we're going to have high-definition, full-length locker room interviews and the Garden Report with Jared Weiss on our YouTube channel. Go to youtube.com backslash CLNS Radio. That will be right up before you know it. And now we're going to get right into the interview with Chris Forsberg from ESPN Boston helping me get or right the ship or get back on track here with the off-season <laughs> interview series. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Oh, anytime, Justin. You know how much I love being on here. Well, you know, you you definitely like the show enough because I asked you before we got started if you had listened to any of the other off-season interview series, and you said you had. So um, I appreciate you listening to the show, and it and it makes it sort of fun because we were going to help – I was going to have you come on earlier, but we had just had you on – as we were wrapping up the draft and sort of that whole free agent off-season area. And so I wanted to wait a little bit closer to training camp to bring you back on the show. But really, we could have had you on any time because we're not going to dive too heavily into the Celtics, other than maybe you've got some, some fun stories to share from your years covering the team. But, you know, really, this is all about getting to know Chris Forsberg a little bit more and I know a lot of our episodes have focused on just some insights for people that maybe want to get started into, into podcasting or blogging or writing. But what any kind of sports coverage, whether it be for fun or it be for professional means, just uh, getting to know you a little bit better and, and understanding maybe some ways that, that people can, can be successful in their efforts too. And so I'm really excited to talk to you because I only know you from ESPN Boston and even back many, many, many years ago and not long after Celtic Stuff Live got started. Yeah, and, and like, I, I can't wait to bore you with, like, how, like, non-exciting my, my journey was. But hopefully, I don't know, I, you know, people ask all the time, and, and, and it, it's fun because I remember when I was starting to get into this business and I really had no idea. I mean, I, I'll, I'll take you all that way back when I first tried to decide on college and you know, I, I didn't think I was going to end up in this business, but, you know, it's funny now I got, like, teenagers reaching out on Twitter and saying, hey, man, how can I get your job? And I'm like, well, I don't want you to get my job, but I'll give you the rundown of how I got here and, and hopefully it'll help someone. So maybe there'll be someone listening that has listened to all of us over this series and, and, and this is something they want to do and hopefully we can get them on the right path. Yeah, and it's funny, too, because I think we've had a few conversations with people about how sometimes in the days of the media that we're in now is somebody will get, I think it was Jared Weiss we were talking to, and he'll get a text message, not a text message, but he'll get a, a direct message on Twitter, and they'll say, oh, hey, you know, can you give me a job? And it's just funny how sometimes people <laughs> think that's how it works, and I, I can tell you I, I worked very hard trying to get to a point where, you know, I might have an opportunity to do this for a living. And ultimately, I never I never made it. And, you know, we've had one of the most successful podcasts, and definitely we were the first on the scene from very early on, and yet it didn't materialize into something that I could support my family with. And we've, we've talked about that with a lot of the guests is you have to be passionate about what you're doing. You have to enjoy it. And you really, it's not that you can't make money at it, but you can't expect to make money at it when you're paying your dues. And, and maybe you could talk a little bit about that, paying your dues, because we haven't gotten into that with a lot of the other guests. And, and maybe, maybe that resonates with you somewhat as well. Yeah. Oh, definitely. So like, 
I mean, and, and I hate it. If, so, if there's someone listening who has seen like my, I don't, I don't, I really should copy and paste it because like I, I type it out different every time. But the message is always the same. It's just like you said. It's always about like hard work and the fact that you've got to put in that effort. You got like no one. It, it, it's not to say you can't come out of college, you can't come out of high school, you can't come out of whatever and find a job and make yourself something, make yourself something in this business. But at some point or another, you have to prove yourself and you have to work for what seems like ridiculously low wages. So what the what I tell everybody is, is, over time is just like, especially if you're breaking in, it's like someone will say, how do, how do I get to a point where I can cover the Celtics? And I'll say, go cover every single high school game you can. Go knock on the door of your local paper. I don't care if it's your little weekly, if it's the big you know, regional newspaper, whatever it is, just start talking to people, tell them you want to write, and whenever they ask you to say something, or whenever they ask you to cover something, don't say no. Because the more times you say yes, the more likely they are to call you and just bring you up to this, the, 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 that next level and lean on you for more important stuff. It's just like it develops that trust, it develops a relationship, it develops into something more than just, you know, writing for, for the local paper. And I don't care if it pays you 20 bucks, 40 bucks, if it's free. Uh, it's just about showing people what you can do. And if you show enough of yourself, it'll snowball from there. I guess that point for me, you know, it kind of is in the middle of my journey. Um, I, when I graduated from Northeastern, I had been an intern at the Boston Globe, and they sort of, like, send you on your way. It's like a, I was very fortunate to be an intern there for five years, but it's sort of like, okay, now work your way back. And so, you know, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do, and so I went back home, and I, I called up the Worcester Telegram, and, I mean, I know some people that I crossed paths with there uh, while covering high schools for, for, for during my time with the Globe. Uh, but you just start covering as many games as you can, and that led to a job with a paper up in Fitchburg, Mass., and, and then, like, we really just an internship, and it developed into, like, what, a 35-hour job, and I was still freelancing for the Globe at that point. It's just the the more you can do, the more you can show people that you're you're willing to fight for this, the, the more willing they are to, they're going to be to come back to you. And even on a pro sports level, you know, I'll jump a little bit further ahead in the journey is I was the high school guy at, at Boston.com and sort of like the Globe's online presence. And I'm, you know, I spend Friday nights and Saturday mornings out covering high school football, but, you know, it, and not to sweat it because it was some of my, my favorite times of, uh, in events you cover, but, you know, the one thing you, you walk away with is a, is a first because, you know, the, the interest, especially in a, a town like Boston or a city like Boston, is in the pro sports. And so I just started saying, hey, can I go to a Patriots game? Can I write a sidebar? Can I go take a video camera and videotape someone talking after a game? And I honestly don't think if I, if I didn't do those little things, if I didn't, you know, give up my time to go do those things and show that that's where I wanted to be, if the, the opportunities to cover this team would have never come along. So, I mean, the bottom line is just hard work. And I, don't, I think it's, it's not exclusive to this business. It's just whatever you want to do, set your sights on what, like, what it is and work your butt off. And I don't care if you got to start at the bottom floor. You know, it, 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 eventually it, it's all going to pay off. And if you are diligent enough, um, it, the oldest Russian cream rises, you know, people are going to know. I'm like thinking of like Brad Stevens when he decides that, you know, he doesn't want to do this office job anymore and he goes, to leaves his, uh, his, his excellent paying job and goes and does an entry-level uh, college basketball assistant and all the pieces have to fall the right way for him to, to make it at Butler. But, you know, again, he was going to make it no matter what happened. It might have taken a little bit more time than it did, but 
you know, again, if, if you've got the talent, if you've got the desire, you'll you'll find a way to make it happen. Yeah, he was working as an analyst at one of the major pharmaceutical companies, and if my my memory uh, serves me correct. correct, I think it was GlaxoSmithKline. But you're absolutely right; he had the intelligence to make it guaranteed. I mean, there, it, it, you know, you had to think it was going to be in basketball, but even coaches have to pay their dues, and they might never make uh, a significant wage depending on where they go or, you know, things have to line up. There's a little bit of luck there, but there is the effort and the commitment, and before we kind of go to how the stars have to align, I think you made a really good point about just say yes but there also comes a point, and I want to get your insights on this, but there comes a point where you say yes so much that there really is no white work-life balance whatsoever. And as you approach, maybe that's great in your 20s, you know, and, and you know, I'm, I'm, in my, uh, I'm in my early 40s now. I think it works out fine, but then as you start to have a family, as you start to do those things, you have to cash in a little bit of those chips and, and just say yes. You have to, that's when you start hearing people say cliches like work harder i mean work smarter not harder and when you're first trying to break in you're, you're working harder because you just aren't smart enough yeah it, it's so true and i like now that i'm i'm in my mid-30s and i've got two kids and you know my wife especially i joke it's it's a good thing we met before i got into this business because she's sort of been exposed to it at every level and she kind of saw like how the commitment jumped up and so now when the basketball season starts up it's you know, at first, I can remember when I first started covering high schools, we would have every fall, we would have the same argument. And I would say, look, you're getting mad because I was around all summer. But now, like, high school football starting back up, it's going to be, a, it's going to take away all these weekends. And you're upset about that. I understand. But now, like, we're getting ready for, for the new basketball season to come by. And she's just like, oh, yeah, well, we'll see you in June. <laughs> have fun with that season. Try to remember us. And uh, But there is certainly a balance. And I think about it every day. Like, um you want to say yes to everything and you absolutely should try to say yes to everything. But, uh, especially I, I think as you get older and you, and you start having family, you need to, that's, that to me should always come first. And like, listen, we, we deal with it every day. The Celtics schedule comes out and they're back on Christmas this year. And my first thought is like, how am I going to do this? Like, how do I tell a seven and a four year old that dad won't be home for Christmas or like, is Santa going to come early? Like, we we still haven't figured that quite out, but um, you know, part of me says, "Will I look back in ten years and think, oh man, I missed a game, or will I think, oh man, I missed Christmas?" So you know, you got to get creative. You got to find ways to to balance it all. Um, I've, I've, I I happen to live out in the middle of nowhere. We made a decision very early on that we were going to to live where we grew up. Uh, in Central Mass, in a little town called Auburn, which is right next to Worcester. For those of you who don't venture outside of 495, and you know, we said it's going to be a pain because every time I go to practice, every time that I go to a game, it's going to be an hour drive. But it, the fact that we have all of our family still here, and we have a, a great support system in terms of watching our kids, and and uh, and we're in a place that we're really comfortable. That, uh, that that was important to us. And I, I still curse every time, like, I'm trucking somewhere to go to a five-minute community event or something like that. But uh, you just you just find that balance between between what you need to do. And when you're younger, just like we said, you know, when you, when, when you have that a little bit more of that freedom to to say yes to everything, it, it, it's certainly a luxury. And you got to take advantage of it 
while you can. And again, it's just uh, any way you can distinguish yourself is going to put yourself on a on a on a, um, a not an easier path, but it's going to put you. It's going to give you a more uh, a higher chance to succeed. So maybe tell us a little bit more about your time at Northeastern, and then I definitely want to plug you for maybe who you worked with when you were interning at the Boston Globe and would love to hear some stories about that. But, uh, you know, I don't know if you have uh, some some experiences from college and Northeastern and, you know, what, was your major communications? What, what was was it English? Like, what was your major at Northeastern? Yeah, so, so you're teeing me up perfectly. So when uh, when I when 18-year-old me had no idea where I wanted to go to college, and again, I'm from this little little town and, my goal really was to stay close, and I had pretty much just determined to myself that I was going to go to Holy Cross, which is literally two miles from my house. I was going to go over a big hill and live there, and I didn't even know what I was going to study, but, you know, that was the plan. And uh, ironically, I met my wife at a Holy Cross. Like, the schools come to, to your high school and, like, pitch you on why you should be interested in them, and we were the only two that went down there, and we subsequently went to visit. Uh, she got in. I didn't, and I said, well... And I'm not sure I have a backup plan here. I had some like other schools that I was interested in, but I never really considered the notion of uh, of where I'd go if, if Holy Cross didn't work out. And so uh, I had to put a little bit more thought into into what I wanted to do. And you know, maybe that, around the same time, I realized I needed to to, to sort of get away for a little bit. And, and I, I, maybe not get away is the right word for kids who are. Or we had like one kid in our class who went to Hawaii, another one went to like California and Colorado, but. Uh, I just decided that Northeastern was a good opportunity, and, and what really sold me was as I learned more about the co-op program and being able to get involved in your field and go to school for six months and work in your field for six months. Um, that intrigued me because I just I felt like that work experience would be really beneficial, and I, I don't know if I could have dreamed that it would be as beneficial as it ended up being. Uh, but I can vividly remember sitting in my childhood bedroom with the Northeastern application, and as all these things came in, I was just checking communications because, I don't know, I, didn't, I don't even think like, anyone knows what communications really set you up for, just like sort of all-encompassing. But Northeastern had one that kind of stood out. I think it was right next to the communications boss. It was like journalism. And I was like, hmm, you know, I like newspapers. I like reading things. Uh, that sounds interesting to me, and that's a little bit more specific than, than this general communication that I've been checking on all these others. Uh, but, I, again, I, it wasn't like I sat there and said, oh, I, I want to be the next uh, Dan Shaughnessy or Bob Ryan or whatever. It was just it was it, it, it made sense to me that uh, that was something that intrigued me, and um, I'd never done really anything. I didn't do the student newspaper in high school. I didn't, like, have – it just was sort of – it sounded interesting to me. Well, I, I, I probably – was half expecting to try and figure things out when I got to Northeastern. Uh, and then luckily, you know, it, it just the first year alone exposed me to both the print side and the broadcast side and was fortunate had some teachers who kind of kicked you in the butt and told me to go at least try for the, the, the student paper and just do whatever they asked. And I can remember, uh, like sitting, I, I did some like tech reviews in there. I was, uh, I, I, did a, uh, an article on a program that was supposed to save your daughter. Like, again, remember, this is 1999 when computers were archaic and where you're, you're typing up your paper and Microsoft Word would crash one every three times. And there was a program that was supposed to save your paper. And, like, so all it did was make a backup somewhere, which is so just common sense nowadays. But 
Uh, and I remember I just uh, I had a double byline with a gr- poor girl who got uh, asked me to write a story with her on like the student govern- government leader or something like that. And I, I don't know how I, I I was not interested in any of these things. It was just like, hey, a ch- again, a chance to write. And uh, it at least gave me a base to have some clips uh, because what I didn't know was that I was going to need those going into that summer because the summer after your freshman year, you, you go sort of pick where you're going to co-op in the fall. And so I had a co-op advisor, Kellyanne Murphy, and I, I, I randomly got an email from her a couple, uh, probably a year ago, and she reached out and said, you know, hey, just checking on everybody that's been through here. Do you have any interesting stories or, you know, just we're just checking in to see how uh, the co-op program works for everybody. And like, I sent her this gushing email uh, because if this lady didn't tell me, go interview at the Boston Globe, I never would have done it. I was, my whole plan was to come back home to my little town and, and ask the little weekly paper if I could cover high school sports or do something, anything for them. Uh, and luckily, the, as, as they, she uh, kicked me in the butt. And we, we, I went over to the Boston Globe one day in Dorchester, and I can vividly remember I walk in, and uh, there were, I could see on there was like a little columnist row, and there was Bob Ryan, um, I believe it's Shaughnessy, Will McDonough. I forget if Jackie was there at that time. In my mind, I, I, like it, it, I'd probably invented it at this point that there was more people sitting there. But I just remember being overwhelmed by the people that were in this building. I was like, all right, well, this was a mistake. There's there's no need to to go through this. And uh, I sat down with this guy named Bill Griffith, and he's honest to God, he's munching down on like a tuna sub, and I feel like he's half disinterested in the interview. And I'm thinking, there's no chance this is going to work out. Interviewed, walked away, got back to my dorm room, and I got a call, and they said, we'd like to offer you the, the job. And I was like, wow, you know. I'll, I'll, probably five years later, I would, I would ask Bill, I'd say, what was it about that interview that, 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 I, that I somehow won you over? Like, why in the world would you hire this freshman with no clips? And he said, well, you were a freshman. I, w- I didn't have to hire anybody else for four more years. And I was like, well, you know. Yeah, you were really hoping for some flattery there, weren't you? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I thought I I really knocked them dead. Nope, they had an opening, and I was a a more attractive candidate because I was coming as a freshman instead of a junior, and uh, he wouldn't have to hire. Now, maybe he was joking. I I, I tend to to think he he was not joking because I I can see how that would uh, get redone in hiring all these co-ops every couple of months. And, uh so the, the the journey for me was really those those four or five years at, at uh, while I was finishing up at Northeastern and and getting to work at the Globe at the same time and that became a little bit of a balance too because you even on the six months you're on a co-op you're you're able to give your your full time to the Globe you go back to school and you don't want to like fall out of the rotation of of covering high school sports so you know it was it was a it was a balance for me. But I, I wouldn't trade it for the world because just all that experience, all those bylines, all those high school stuff I covered just put me in a really good position. I felt way more confident coming out um, after my time at Northeastern and entering the job market. And even though, you you know, everyone was so petrified of there being no jobs or, you know, no nothing to do out there, uh, I felt confident that I would be able to, to find something. And, and if I didn't have those that experience at the Globe, I don't know if I if I would have felt that way, and and again, so that goes back to what we we kind of led this thing off with. Just go go do something. It doesn't even have to be for a big paper. Just get writing, and uh, every every little clip you can show, every podcast clip you can send an editor these days, especially nowadays. Like not to diminish what you guys do as a podcast, but like anybody can start a podcast, right? And right, no, that's enough, true. It, it didn't it, used to be that way, and now there's a million. Exactly. Of them. 
it, it feels like it had to be like an old radio guy who had a board or like who had the technology to, to set that up. And, um, you know, you can really go out there and, and we're seeing it more and more, maybe especially in the NBA coverage, is that people are able to go out there and really, you know, just take an untraditional path and get into this business. And it's cool to see. It's a reminder that, again, you work hard enough, you're, you're going to find a way to, to, to break through in this world. Yeah, no doubt. All right, we're talking with Chris Forsberg from ESPN Boston, continuing our off-season interview series, and really just a few short weeks away from the beginning of Celtics training camp. Real quick, a word from our sponsor, Fan Essentials. How would you like to get all of your favorite NBA team's merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep? Just check out fanessentials.net. You pick your favorite sports team, and I'm imagining if you're listening to Chris and I right now, it's the Celtics, and every month you get team gear shipped right to your door. They find the sports gear so you don't have to, and each fan box comes fully packed with some amazing gear. It's a great gift idea for any sports fan, and prices start at just $34.99, but we're going to do a solid for you. If you support Celtic Stuff Live, we'll help you save 30% on your first month of your subscription by using the promo code CSL2016 at the checkout. So go to fanessentials.net to get all the essentials you need, and in our partnership with fan essentials celtic stuff live is giving away one free month each week to our listeners all you have to do is retweet our show announcement with the hashtag fan essentials make sure you are following at csl underscore tweet live so we can send you a direct message with the details about how to redeem your free month of celtics gear from fan essentials and stay tuned after this interview with chris forsberg because we will be announcing this week's winner and chris it's interesting because we talked a little bit about college and you kind of had to call an audible in a way, I guess. But what I wanted to pose to you, and it's a conversation even my wife and I have had, she came out of school and she was one of those kids that her birthday's in November. So when she actually started college, she was 17. And nobody more than some of these younger entrants into, into their freshman year did she feel like, I have no idea what I want to do with my life. And you had said it wasn't like you were trying to be the next Dan Shaughnessy or or Bob Ryan right out of the gate. And certainly you're on your way. You're doing a fantastic job. But it wasn't necessarily your vision right out of the gate. And yet you found your way there. My wife and I have had this conversation before because I went to be a chemical engineer. I had a, a scholarship to, to go and do engineering. I got a 10 on my first chemistry test. So I decided maybe I wasn't meant to be a chemical engineer. <laughs> and I shifted majors but a lot of other people that were in my dorm wound up just you know similar experience other guys in engineering maybe with not with a scholarship but similar experience with the grades wound up dropping out and not even doing school what do you think about this whole pressure to go right into college coming out of high school and is there this idea that you're supposed to know what you want to do before you spend the kind of money that it costs to go to college now. It's a little bit of an off-topic, but I think it's something that, especially if there's younger people that are listening to this show, that maybe they're wondering the same thing. It's like, how do I craft my career, and, and do I want to go to college right away? And you know, how do you weigh those kinds of things, Chris? Yeah, it's interesting. I've, I've, I've never really thought. I don't know what the alternative is. You know, you hear some people taking that, that year off in between, and I think that that can be good, especially sounds like with your wife in terms of, you know, if you're just not ready to go, if you're just, because your birthday is 
sets you up for younger. Uh, it, it, I can see it's definitely being a situation where you, know, you, you hear a lot of sports people doing a post-grad year, but I mean, I feel like even just that could help a lot of people, a chance to sort of breathe, because like, at least for me, high school was like overwhelming in terms of like trying to get good grades and trying to balance sports and everything you do and getting your first job. And, you know, that's when I met my wife. So like, you know, things come at you fast and then you're supposed to also decide what you want to do for the rest of your life. And, um, I, you know, every time I think about that, I think about my mom and, you know, she's 55 and she sits there and, you know, we joke, I'll say, you know, she's changing jobs or whatever, and she'll say, you know, I don't know what I want to do when I grow up. And it's true, like, you know, you shouldn't have this fear that you have to decide the rest of your life uh, as a teenager because, you know, it certainly helps if you are passionate about something and you know what you want to do down the road. Um, but there's no reason that you can't audible. Um, and, heck, I see it with people in journalism. Like, you know, it's some, it's just not happening for some people, and, and they're like, well, you know, I don't know if I want to – I can go take a, 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 another type of job. And then, you know, some people thrive when they do, and some people love it. Uh, we had an intern, Greg Payne, who is one of my favorite people in the world, and he would have been an absolute dynamite writer. He would have been uh, – he, he, he got his start on Celtics blog, didn't he? I remember him being exactly. somebody very early on on Celtics blog. Exactly. You know, he just he was one of those go-getters who found a way to kick in every door he found. And he was like, he broke in on Celtics blog. He was just a guy watching games and said, "Hey, I want to kind of get involved in this." And then sent me an email out of the blue and said, "You know, hey, can I be an intern?" And I was like, "Can you be an intern? I don't know. Well, I, let me ask somebody." And I said, "Hey, can I get an intern?" And they said, "Sure." And so all of a sudden, this random kid from uh, uh, Endicott is coming and doing Celtics home games and helping me out of practice and. It's probably the easiest year I've ever had on the beat because having Greg there as a support system was just awesome. Like literally, I could fling anything at him and he would do it. And uh, you know, he was set up to have his choice. Like he had made himself intriguing to other companies out there. He just looked at the business landscape and said, "Yeah, you know what? Don't know if I love these hours. Don't know if I if I'm if I want to wait it out for the for the right job." And he correctly just said, "You know what?" he's one of those people that was going to succeed no matter what field he went into. And so even though I told him like, man, just wait it out because you're going to be great at this and you'll, you'll, you'll take off in no time. He just knew that he could, he could switch gears and, and pick up with what he did. And now he works for an internet of things company and he posts pictures of him in snazzy suits going to all these conventions and his company's winning awards and, uh, Greg will, will either be president or, you know, he'll be the mayor. I don't know what he'll do, but, uh, he's destined for, for, for the top levels of success, and I just hope he remembers me uh, down the road. But, you know, he's the same way. He wasn't afraid that um, – I don't I think – I don't want to say I, that, that journalism or communications was his major. I want to say it was like, you know, something more broad English or, or something basic like that. Uh, but he wasn't afraid to sort of shift, and now he's in the PR communication side of things. And so there's a, some – strain of, of familiarity but you know the, the the what he went into is if if if, if i did sports writing i sort of like can't imagine stepping outside of that that sports spectrum whereas greg was just like technology whatever i'll go go write about whatever they want me to do and he, he made it work so uh you know i, I just don't i 
you should know what you want. If you know what you want to do, go at it. But if, if you're sitting there and you're undecided, you know, part of me says go explore and, and try everything and find out what you do like. Uh, but don't feel like you have to know because, you know, I'm, there's going to come the time when you're, you're, you're going to be way older than 18 and you're going to sit there and say, what do I want to do and uh, is this the right track for me? Well, I think everybody calls an audible, and this ties into another follow-up I was going to have as you were describing your plan, like, I'm going to go to Holy Cross, and this is what I'm going to do, and your future wife is going to Holy Cross as well, and that's the way, you know, we got this whole plan, and then all of a sudden, you've got to change gears a little bit, and maybe, you know, fortuitously, that that wound up working out really nicely for you, but I think it's important to sort of remember that you do have to call an audible, and, and some people, you know, you mentioned, Greg, sometimes, you know, your interests change over time. I mean, I can tell you, you know, me personally, when I left the engineering, I went into nursing, uh, became a registered nurse. I worked in that field for many years. Um, while I was figuring out that maybe I wanted to do something and, and do something a little bit different is when I got involved in podcasting and doing that. And so I was moonlighting and driving two hours to the game. And then I wound up using those experiences to launch into a sales career. And uh, yeah, at first it was medical and now it's security sales. But it's just really interesting because I think you can never get to a point in your life where you're not willing to, again, call an audible, chase a dream, do something a little bit different, um, or challenge yourself. And a lot of people do have two, three, I guess some even four different careers. But I wanted to tie it back and, and just when we talk about maybe changing the plan or adjusting how you see things moving forward. I mean, that was something that, that you did right away coming right out of school. How did that prepare you to be adaptable in your professional, or I should say, as you developed professionally? Because we hear that. That's another sort of cliche. Everybody wants somebody who is adaptable, who's flexible <laughs> with their hours, and nah, nah, nah. you see it in the cookie cutter job posting or on the resume. Oh, I'm super flexible and I'm adaptable. And, you know, I adjust to change really well. And, uh, but, but you do have to be that way to be successful, right? Yeah. Well, I, I think the, the number one thing that along those lines, at least in this business was being able to, uh, being accepting the direction that the business was going in was, huge for me because again as I'm coming kind of up through the ranks and I'm, I get this internship at the Globe and you know you're just a newspaper and you're out covering stuff but in that probably I, I can remember actually sitting there in the newsroom and this is what really makes me feel old is we had these old what we call Apex computers it was just like terminal line stuff you could just like start a new document write in it there, there was like there was like a very primitive form of email on there it just it was, it was really crazy uh, and even at the, the last thing of the night we'd have to do is update the telephone line at the Globe with the final scores that all these guys that were drunk at bars would call to see if their bets hit because there was no internet, or at least it was a primitive form of it where people weren't smart enough to just go on to ESPN.com or whatever existed uh, in, in the infancy and check scores. So, you know, who, who would have thought that by the end of my internship in, in the early 2000s and mid-2000s that, you know, we'd be transitioning to putting up videos with our stories online and doing podcasts. And it, the business just kind of took off in a different direction. And, I mean, we're still going through it now. I, mean, I go to cover a, a Patriots game today, and, you know, one, I'm, I'm already kind of, 
trying to feel my way out on another sport. It's always weird for me to, to go back to football, even though I, I, I loved it when I when I got a chance to cover it while uh, at doing the Globe stuff. But, you know, it, it's just so different now, and, and whether it's tweeting or Snapchatting or, like, there's a new app every time a new season starts. And I sit there and I look. I got a, a folder on my phone that says social media, and there must be 50 different apps in it now uh, because it feels like we're, we're just trying to get our stuff out there in so many different ways. Uh, you just got to be able to, you got to be willing in this business now to embrace those, those new technologies. And, you know, sometimes, you know, people will sit there and say, well, well why do we got to, why do we got to put it on Facebook and Twitter and MySpace and like whatever else they can, they can find out there. But uh, with any field, there's going to be changes and you're going to have to adapt to it. Uh, in order to make yourself as valuable as possible. And so I, I, I certainly think about that every time. It's like you don't ever want to fall behind that curve. And I would like to think that, especially in this business, I'm always trying to look ahead and think of how to stay, at least at least not fall behind. Like I know there will become a point where my kids will be showing me like these apps and I'll be the old-timer saying, I don't know why in my day we only had Snapchat. Uh, and it took me a good like year to figure out Snapchat, and I still don't know what I'm doing. But uh, you know, these things are vital because people are digesting news differently. And you know, again, on a broader sense, that just goes for every field. Like as we as as the technology evolves, we're just doing things differently, and you got to be able to uh, to adapt to whatever's out there. Yeah, you you do have to be adaptable. It's interesting you mention you know having a folder on your phone and. One of the things that I think is so interesting is they develop these aggregator apps, but even that can't keep up. And you still have to make your own accounts and set them up, and you have to interact with the individuals. So it's one thing to have an aggregator and then push the content out. But then if you're not present when people are commenting or interacting, you're really missing the boat on how you engage the audience. And that's, I think, one of the biggest changes. We hear social media, and that's certainly, it indicates it, you know, that it's social. But you have to be accessible as a writer. I mean, Twitter is the is the is my preference because I can float something out there and see who actually wants to talk about it. And it can get a lot of other people involved really easily. But then you look at platforms like, Facebook and you know if you're not my friend Chris then you're not going to get pulled into the discussion right. but Twitter does a really nice job of you know you just follow certain people and it and it pulls it I think the conversation in a little bit easier um, they all have their their different benefits Snapchat has come up in this off-season interview series numerous times just because um, I'm certain that you are aware that uh, you know Terry Rozier kind of put something out there having some fun in his downtime <laughs> And it's interesting how it, it also changes the way that we're all perceived. And it's so easy to make a – I don't even want to necessarily criticize Terry Rozier 100% on this either, but it, it it could be considered a brand mistake or you could say something or put, post something that you might not have otherwise if you'd had a moment to think about it. But you can put content up there so fast – that it does sort of subject you to some criticism that really wasn't there years ago. It, it always required somebody to be able to do the interview and qualify it. What do you think about the integrity of of reporting, 
now that it's a little bit more blended with social media. And I don't mean to challenge, you know, your integrity or anything. I just mean from the standpoint of oh, no. the people getting considered as being a legitimate source or a legitimate reporter. I mean, even look at the presidential race. There's a lot of sites that are posting stuff on Facebook, and it's like I'm not even sure that this is like a credible <laughs> source for information. And how do people sift through that and determine credibility anymore? Yeah, it, like even with the the Rozier thing, it's it, 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 it's such a good point. Like it, I, I know these guys go through social media training, and they. There's such an emphasis on it now with the team reminding them, you know, that uh, of, of what everything they post is going to be scrutinized and someone's going to be looking at it, especially someone in a position like us where we're able to, to not maybe not scrutinize it, but just like get it out there and discuss it. And, um, it's all, they're constantly reminded to, to just be careful with that. You know, the flip side is we get to know these athletes so much more intimately, I feel like, because, you know, every day I'm sitting there putting on Instagram stories and like, look at the little clips. I mean, and all it is Jay Crowder scowling, but you get to see like his daily life and what he's doing. And I'm fascinated by it because it's a new way for me to be able to keep tabs on what these guys are doing in the off season. You know, whereas like you would have never had that meme uh, a few years ago, but it is true. It's like, you know, it's so easy for one of them to post something that they instantly regret. And I always tell this story because one day uh, my oldest, she must have been probably three or four years old, uh, is like the night after a game. She came into to, to, to the bedroom and, and said, hey, can I play with your phone for a second? And I was like, sure. I just threw my iPhone at her and, uh, you know, didn't think anything of it. And then when I got the phone back about a half an hour later, I see like, you know, 30 notifications for Twitter or something. And I was like, What? And I popped it open, like, completely baffled. And, and now if I did, I'd probably be fearful. But what I didn't know is that she was watching, like, cartoons on YouTube and pushed some video up through Twitter by just hitting the Twitter button. And I must have had it authorized or whatever. And so uh, it was called the Gummy Bear Song. And it's just this green gummy bear dancing to, like, techno music bouncing all around <laughs> bouncing here and there and everywhere yeah. i grew up on the gummy bears cartoon i remember that which is hilarious but so, it sounds like they made it a little more new age like maybe oh, uh, yeah. rolled up into some ecstasy and and some weird rave stuff like the the, the the song is a jam and don't get me wrong it gets in your head for for, for the entire day but um you know the responses to it were like fairly hilarious like someone like haha like People thought I legitimately posted it because I thought it was funny or something. Uh, but, you know, I, I think about it. I, she could have posted anything, like even something that, that isn't harmful. Um, you know, but what if she did? Like, what if she just stumbled upon some crazy video on YouTube and pushed? I, I don't know. I also, I'm always much more fearful. I'm like, all right, how do I revoke the ability to pu publish directly to Twitter from YouTube or my photos? Or, like, how can I make sure... I don't create a situation that I, I don't need to be in or, or have to have to remedy. Now, luckily, again, that I could just laugh it off and try to explain that my two-year-old posted that. But um, I, I, I always think just, man, it's that easy. A three-year-old was able to, to post directly to social media. Uh, you know, imagine how easy it is for a 23-year-old with a whole bunch of money and uh, a much more exciting events to uh to distribute. and and a great reason to brag about their 
their situation in life, especially as it's new. And it's interesting because the design of apps and the gamification of the way technology is being created is we know for usability and to be, um, I guess, adopted by the target audience or, you know, people who are going to pay to use it or help you drive revenue is really want to minimize clicks. You want to be able to do everything as easily and intuitively as possible. So it's no wonder that something, you know, like a YouTube app would be so easy and intuitive for children and their minds being so easily shaped and so quick to learn because they don't have the old ways stuck. You know, they don't, they are the new dog and they're learning new tricks. And so they're probably able to figure out a lot more of that just through trial and error. And they have the time to sort of play with it by accident and, and discover how to do some things like that. So real quick, we're going to be right back after this word from our newest sponsor, audible.com. So stay with us. Chris Forsberg from ESPN Boston. All right, we're back. Chris Forsberg from ESPN joining us as we get, I guess, basically down to the final run here leading up to training camp with the off-season interview series. A few more people on deck. We're going to hear from Mark Spears in the coming weeks. Um, We're also going to hear from Bobby Manning, who was the inspiration for putting this series together, an interview that he had with Chad Finn, sort of saying, Chad, you know, I'm a young, aspiring uh, broadcaster slash writer, et cetera. What advice do you have for me? So Chad is also going to be part of this series, and then we've got a few more that we're reaching out. Yeah. But those three confirmed. we got some names, man. I mean, Sean Grandy kicked it look, all off, Chris. Look at you guys. This has been fun. That's awesome, though. This is, this is great. Like, and, and like these are, it's, what's, what's fascinating to me is these are all people that, at some point in my career, I've obviously bumped into, and not necessarily just Celtics-related. You know, Mark Spears can tell you, like, during the 2008 title run, I was the kid who came out of nowhere because the Celtics came out of nowhere in that year and obviously kind of thrust themselves back into uh, an interest level. And I would pull poor Mark, who just joined on the beat, and say, hey, uh, after this playoff game, I need you to sit here and talk into this camera for two minutes about the story you wrote. And he was great about, like, adapting to that. And Chad Finn was... Uh, someone who, you know, look, I, I love where his career has gone. And, like, he was, uh, me and him were at Boston.com together. Um, I mean, listen, he was already on his, his way to superstardom, but, like, uh, he's just one of the nicest people in the world. And, and so it's cool that he's tied into uh, where you went with this this program and, and uh, this series. Uh, he's one of my favorite people. I'm glad he's going to be on as well. Yeah, I wondered if maybe you two had run into each other, you know, during your time interning at the Globe, et cetera. And then you said you had done some freelance work, so I, I, I had a hunch that that maybe you and Chad had uh, had had uh, a lot. Yeah, you know, obviously covering the Celtics, you've run into each other, but Chad's also very broad in, in all the sports that he covers. And I'm also amazed that he still drives from Maine into Massachusetts. Like I remember, that was a killer on me. Yeah, well, I guess it goes back to, like, me living out in the boonies. It's, it's like, I, it's nice that someone else does that, too. Like, I respect that because, you know, I, I, I think we all feel the same way when you when you are attached to where you live, when you have family there. You know, you don't want to break out of that comfort just because your job is somewhere else. And, you know, the great part about this world is, as we go along is it's just becoming so much easier to, to be, you know, everywhere 
and, and anywhere. It's amazing to me when I can film videos from my, my office at home and, you know, I mean, obviously these sort of things, it's just, it's, the world is getting smaller. It's, it, it's made easier. Uh, where you live doesn't necessarily prohibit you from, from what you do now. And, uh, yeah, if I can connect the middle part of my journey is like when I ended up going back to the Globe in 2006, uh, and I worked there for three years as a like really a high school guy. But again, part of it is that I got these opportunities to start doing the pros, and uh, right around the same time was when Chad got uh, brought over to Boston.com, and you know, listen, his his blog was was awesome, and uh, our desks were right next to each other, and so I had the privilege of. Uh, sitting across from him while I was making a lot of Red Sox photo galleries and all the other stuff that used to clutter up Boston.com. A small part of me misses the, the, those interactions. We don't really have an office anymore, but uh, now I just have a, the gaggle of, of Celtics co-writers and uh, that, that work for these different outlets that are uh, almost like extended families because I see them so much. Well, and you know, to your point about covering the Patriots game this week, I think it's less spe- I don't want to say it's less specialized, but it's less focused maybe like hey you're you're the reporter that does this now it's really much more broad coverage, and I would think that you're all running into each other in different areas you know i'm I'm sure you've run into a a ton of people at at the Patriots game as well that you've worked with but to your point about the network getting smaller, it's almost like because you can work from anywhere. They'll they'll have you do a lot more different things in different sports and move you around a little bit as well. Yeah, and there's a value. I, mean, we, I talk about this a lot with people in the business. There's a value in not, you know, essentially pigeonholing yourself in one sport and, and sort of uh, being typecast. Like I think there's there's sometimes you look at someone and say, well, they're a basketball writer. They can only do basketball. And you know, I'll fully admit, I kind of. It's funny to go from something where you feel so comfortable, like I know everything about the Celtics now because that's my job, and, and I feel like I know the team really well. Well, I used to feel that way about the Patriots because when I was I would spend a lot of time in Foxborough, and I was just a fan of the team and the NFL in general. But you know, again, as you put more time and commitment into what your your primary focus is, you just naturally don't have the hours to to, to spend on the other stuff. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm like. You know, I'm looking at the Dolphins. I'm trying to help out our, our Dolphins writer because he wasn't he was able to travel up for this game, and that's part of the reason I was there. And I'm thinking, like, oh my God, like, you know, who who is who's kneeling on the sideline during the national anthem? Who's who's that guy that just got hurt? Is that important? Like, it's just it's so funny to go to back to another sport, and I understand why we're specialized and stuff like that. But it, it reminded me to sort of keep a, an eye open on the rest of the teams in the area and, and make sure I know, I know what's going on with with the rest of our. Boston well, there's a lot of lessons to learn cross-sport, too, and I think it's important to, to expose yourself to different perspectives because it's not just pigeonholing you in terms of what perspective future employers or, you know, just sort of diversifying what your content is in terms of making yourself attractive, but also just for your own perspective. Like, it's good to have... Um, I guess what I would say is, like, if you only covered the Patriots during all of this success, how would you know when all of a sudden, at some point, there's going to be a drop-off, right? It's not going to last for 30 right. years. So how do you yeah. cover a team when they are rebuilding or when things aren't good or when the fans are not as interested or as engaged? And how you tell – that's really when I think the art form of journalism – um, and being able to craft, like Sean Grandy was awesome at it, or is awesome at it, 
when the team isn't. He creates a storyline leading up to a game that sure. maybe for 90% of America, maybe it's not important, but he gets you involved. If you're tuning in early enough, you're still getting excited, even though you know the team's only going to win 20 or 30 games and it's Brad Stevens' <laughs> first year. But if you really are passionate, there's still a story to be told. I think that's where the meat is. But imagine if you just covered the Patriots for this whole duration, then all of a sudden, you know, who knows, Belichick retires, they don't really get a nice handoff, and the next coach isn't any good. And it's going to happen at some point. It's inevitable. And so when that happens, the writers that really specialized in that, who maybe didn't have an experience like you've had with the Celtics and watching them really, you've probably seen two successful rebuilds at this point, how do you sort of craft that narrative? At some point, that gets really difficult without a variety of experiences. It keeps you sharp and on your game. Yeah, and, and I'll say this for the, the Brad Stevens' first season here when they won 25 games was actually probably one of my favorite years to cover because it was. It was like almost like a little bit of a, of a, of a challenge to, to make things interesting. Now, certainly there was plenty to write about in Brad's infancy, but then you go into the grind and, um, there was obviously a, a nice bit of storyline because of the roster turnover and stuff like that. But you, how do you keep people engaged in a team that, like you said, is, isn't necessarily that interesting, at least on a national level? And so that was fun to try and you know accentuate the, the guys with good stories and the guys who were playing well and uh, to, to sort of uh, detail this rebuild and how they really got from 25 wins to, to, to 42 wins and uh, and how they, they continue to grow now. So uh, it's fun to be part of that. You know, Doc Rivers didn't want to be part of, of, of that, that rebuild, and that was understandable after going through it once. Uh, but it was, it was nice to go with it. And now I'm, I'm, I'm kind of excited to have been on this bicycle long enough to now uh, get a chance to see them when they're sort of on the upswing. You know, I've kind of dropped well, in on that 2008 the title team. Fun. I, for me, it is, it's the right? most like, fun because there's so much that's going to unfold. And Doc, you know, I will say this, and I, you know, I know a lot of media people get criticism for sort of, oh, you guys are always giving Doc a break. Hey, look, Doc was a great guy. I, and, you know, I'm, he was a great guy. He was easy to talk to. He'd give you the time. But the one thing that I always struggled with during that first rebuild was that he really wouldn't give the young players that I wanted to see develop time to play. So if you're really doing a rebuild, it's like give those guys some playing time. I understand you want to win games, and I get it, but there were just certain guys that couldn't see the light of day, and Brad has done such an amazing job with so many different players, so many young players, of getting them out on the floor. I mean, you might be able to criticize him about Jordan Mickey, but that one's understandable. I mean, as year one and whatnot, and maybe we see a little bit of Jordan, but for the most part, Brad's done a really nice job of, of not only developing those young players, but giving all of us a little bit of a, a glimpse. Remember when you tried to sort out the front court last year? Yeah, and, and, and I'll be interested this year. I'll get really put to the test, right? Because they, they certainly have a spot and some need at Swingman to get Jalen Brown immediate minutes, and you feel like a number three pick should be on the floor a lot, but they're still going to have to balance it a little bit, and I, I do think you know we'll see how much is Brad willing to lean on a young, very raw player, a 19-year-old kid, on a team that has newfound expectations, and uh, that's that's going to be a curiosity of mine. Both, you know, from the start of camp straight through until the, the rotation is set, is just, you know, how much do they lean on this young kid, and and uh, and how does how quickly does he develop because of that time? 
Yeah, and it's a totally different scenario because a team is like a legit contender and rebuilding at the same time. That is not often the case, and it certainly wasn't Doc's first go. We knew he wasn't going to win a lot of games, so what did he have to lose? In Brad's uh, case, this coming season, and why I think your point is very well taken in just how intriguing it's going to be, is there is a lot to lose for Brad Stevens this year, and we saw how positioning in the playoffs of the seeding really hurt them. They didn't want to play Atlanta. That was probably the worst draw they could have had, and so... This is a unique situation that we're going to see play out for probably the first time with the Celtics. This is what they wanted to do coming out of the Larry Bird era, era and heading into Reggie Lewis right. and, and Len Bias, but it, it never happened. And we're actually going to see a much smoother transition or what a similar model to what Red had hoped to do heading into the 90s. It'll be interesting. Like I, I like, and then you start thinking ahead to next year. Like, let's just say that the the Nets deliver the number one pick or something up near the top. You know, so they get another young guy they're trying to develop. When expectations could be even higher. Let's say they go to the Eastern Conference Finals this year. Then, you know, aspirations and, and expectations will be gigantic going into the 2017 season. So again, how do you balance that? How do you bring along a young guy and in a, what should be a robust roster and a deep roster. Um, I think it's a good problem to have, and I'm sure they, they much prefer this route than, than not being able to, to, to keep the well stocked. Uh, I think Doc Rivers would probably love it out west if he could have some additional help coming into his system. It might make his job a little bit easier, even though he's got a whole bunch of talent out west. Uh, it, 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 it should be a fun season to see. Uh, just how they do, how these young guys embrace the expectation and the, the, the need to, to, to take that next step. Um, you know, one of the conversations I keep having with my friends is, you know, is there almost too much expectations now? Everyone sort of thinks they're going to be the number two team in the East. You know, what happens if they get, don't get that number two seed? What happens if they don't get out of the first round of the playoffs? Uh, it, it, there won't be a shortage of storylines seemingly this year. No, especially not after the draft and the Kevin Durant chase and free agency sort of gave us a glimpse of what the fan base might look like if they don't meet sort of these high expectations for the year. But, you know, that's that's the way it is. I mean, expectations are everything, um, and you can only... You can only do so much to manage those, and the fan base wants to see progress. And, you know, it's sort of like managing, you know, personnel. I mean, I don't know if you have managerial responsibilities in your role at ESPN Boston now. You kind of mentioned how you worked with Greg Payne, and so as an intern, I'm I'm sure you were responsible for delegation and whatnot. You know, as as a sales manager myself, it's like I have to set expectations for those people, you know, that that you know have to deliver results to me. But guess what? They have expectations for the organization and myself as well. And, you know, it's a tit for tat and I think it's the same way, you know, with professional franchises. There's expectations going both ways. And one expectation that I think the Celtics fans have given sort of the corporate uh culture the luxury of is that even when the team is bad, they're going to be out there in droves. They're going to be screaming and yelling and rooting, and it's still going to be one of the toughest places to play in the NBA. I mean, that that's a tough expectation to uphold year after year as well, especially during a rebuild, and yet 
the fan base met that expectation. What happens when they don't do that anymore? Yeah, you know, I'd be fascinated to see, like we were talking about the Patriots, like what happens when the Patriots finally come back to earth a little bit? You know, I mean, nothing about what we've seen suggests it's going to happen anytime soon, but, I mean, Brady can't eat this guacamole ice cream forever, uh, and, and he can't play forever, so... You know, and, and if they if they are subject to the the natural ups and downs of the NFL eventually, you know, there's a pretty long waiting list for tickets down there. Does that finally start sort of slow down? Or um, it's it's been an amazing amazing ten years over ten years now, right? Like almost twenty years that they've they've sort of sustained this. So, you know, since two thousand one and um, this you know, is the man, Danny Ainge era, but, and I think it is very much tied to leadership and corporate culture. And I'm actually going to spin this back into, you know, talking about the differences, you know, in culture from an organization to another organization, especially as, you know, I think people have to kind of figure out where they fit professionally. I'm not, everybody is meant to work in a corporate culture. Some people are much better in a small to mid-sized business or a family owned business, et cetera. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, no matter the setting, I think culture is is hugely important, and I think the loyalty. Danny didn't have a lot at first, but he earned it very quickly. I mean, what he did to Antoine certainly dug him a hole, but he dug out of it in short order. And I think now the fan base is loyal to Wick. It's loyal, you know, to Steve Pagliuca. It's loyal to Danny. It's on some level Austin's being groomed and maybe that's the transition and then they'll be loyal to to Austin down the line they're loyal to Zarin like people know the leadership in this organization they feel a connection to it they like how the organization's being led and you really only have to really you only have to pay attention to a lot of the way that Brad speaks to the media about the team and the organization to understand that he's being supported and that they're all in very much an alignment. They all work very hard. If anything, their staff is a little thin, but it also makes it easier on another level for them to be on the same page and to stay in that alignment. And I I know from personal experience working in a corporate culture, sometimes the bigger something gets, the more misaligned it gets. And, you know, you've probably had a variety of different experiences. I mean, ESPN is a very large corporation, but you you mentioned, you know, the Worcester Telegram and even the Boston Globe. While it's large, it's not ESPN large. All those settings are very different, and I think people have to sort of understand what they're getting into just in terms of size of organization when they look to – uh, make their careers and and how do they evaluate culture the same way Brad Stevens evaluated the Celtics culture to realize it was a good fit for his career? Yeah, and I, like I mean, I, I guess that you talk about like they, them being a sort of small front office. It's it's clearly by design because they feel comfortable in the fact that they can delegate better, that they can they, that they're all on the same page, that it's easier to go into those meetings about what you want to do with the the franchise when you have that closeness between those people and it's just like you're not bringing too many cooks into the kitchen and you see some of these organizations that they have you know these gigantic front offices like and gigantic ownership groups and it's like how do you get everybody on the same page here the, the delegation of, of responsibility seems pretty cut and dry and you know Brad talks about that all the time about how he loves you know and and it's a little bit of coach speak when he says that he lets Danny and, and his staff sort of by the groceries and he just cooks the dinners and uh but you know you, you get the sense that his role and his voice and and who they pursue is obviously growing 
and that he, he the the longer he's here, the more comfortable he's going to be going to Danny and saying, "Hey, that's the kind of guy I want to call you." And maybe we're seeing that already with the Horfords of the world and even Gerald Green. Um, so it, it, there's just such a benefit when any organization is on the same page. Just like you said, like doesn't matter if it's any of the spots I've been at when the the core group that you're working for is focused on a on a singular task. Uh, it it just tends to produce better results. And I'm always surprised that more teams don't navigate that way. Um, it, it seems like the Celtics are a bit of an outlier in the, in the way they have that, that tight front office. Um, but I think you look at the teams that have, have thrived the most, and you know, I think about the Spurs, I think about the, 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 the way they've, they've created their culture down there. I'm surprised more teams don't take that approach to, to streamline everything. Yeah, it, that's a really good point. Why not? Well, it's a very lean sort of concept. Not you hear terms like lean and six seg, six sigma, especially in manufacturing in the United States. And you know, six sigma is really more about reducing the error right, rate and and trying to achieve perfection. In terms of you know, Toyota was sort of lean moving into six sigma, but then you talk about the way that the organization is running, and they're definitely very lean in terms of, hey, listen, let's let's keep this as minimalistic as possible, but it leads to efficiency. It can also lead to burnout if it's not done really well. And speaking of burnout, I you know I know we're getting close to the end of the interview here, but um, maybe that's a good question, and maybe any other advice that you would have for people that are trying to get into the industry, but we already talked about it. It's an enormous amount of work. A lot of times it may be a second job as you're trying to break in, but how do people avoid burnout and maybe any other advice that you would have to aspiring sportscasters or sports writers? Yeah, well, it's funny because like, I think everybody has those moments of your job where you're just frustrated, where there's something that drives you nuts. There's one task or one project, whatever that you sit there and say, man, I don't want to do this anymore. Why am I in this business? Why am I doing this or whatever? Uh, and then I, I always remind myself in that instance to like sort of take a step back. I've, I watch basketball for a living. I talk to some like really interesting people and I write stories about it and people think that's really cool. And, you know, again, sure. The travel can be nuts. Sure. The hours can be crazy. Um, it, 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 but it, man, like I, you know, I, I think about every time I get a little bit frustrated, I think like what else I could be doing and, you know, hopefully everybody when they're trying to find what they want to do, will, will uses that as, as part of their guide and sort of, again, you, it, everybody has that idea where you wake up in the morning, you want to go do your job. And, you know, that rarely happens because every job becomes a little bit more of a grind. And you have to divorce yourself a little bit from what attracted you to it in the first place. I don't think there's anybody that ever just, like, commits to something and just unequivocally loves it. To do. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. Like, I don't know if Brad Stevens will ever burn out on, on just coaching basketball. Like, some of the other stuff that goes along with it and, and some of the commitments – um, probably it just depends if you take a now. break, right? Because yeah, right? you can love something, but sometimes it's like being in a bad relationship. Like it just becomes unhealthy for you because you become so engrossed and you don't give each other space to grow that it winds up being corrosive, even though both individuals are good people who would otherwise make great partners. But for some, you know, I've seen friends who've had 
these kinds of relationships where you, they never come out of the house anymore and they're just so engrossed, but they, they burn out immediately on each other because they don't give some space. And I think professionally, you need to give yourself some space from the job so that you can maintain the enjoyment that brought you there to begin with. Yeah, and that's why, especially in the, the August and September months, maybe every every year I think I, I do it a little bit more. I just try to get away a little bit and get off Twitter for a week, a day, you know, try to just enjoy the, the, the time when you, you know, you don't really have to be on there all the time because and play some not golf, enough going right? on. I mean, the last time we well, talked, I mean, that's where you were headed. Like, I got to go get some golf in, boys. <laughs> I've uh, I've played a fair share of golf, and again, it comes down to that balance. Like, part of me uses that as motivation. On the night before, I know I'm going to go play golf in the morning. I'll try to get something done so that we have something in there, and then I feel better about myself because I got some fresh content out there. And then, you know, I can go play golf and not worry that I'm missing something or that I'm not serving the the fans that are hoping. You know, wait. I don't know if people are waking up in September and saying, "Man, I really hope there's a new article up there." But I do think that you build a fan base in this job in, in terms of a, a, a viewers or uh, content produ- um, digesters. I don't know what you want to call them. Uh, but like, uh, I feel a responsibility to them to, to give them a reason to keep coming to our site, even during the quieter months. And uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully that happens because you know, we, we, that's part of the reason we do the summer forecast. It's part of the reason that... Which was awesome, you know, I, by that, the way. I thank mean, you, the, you. the forecast is so much fun to participate in. I, I know that the listeners of this show and then the readers of the blog really enjoy it as well. But I can just tell you from somebody, you know, who's back into it. And I think maybe I participated once before I took the break. But I can tell you it's a ton of fun answering those questions. Not to mention, you sort of get me thinking and constructing the storyline and the narrative before we get to training camp by doing it. Yeah, and, and like, listen, like if you if I asked everybody to answer those same questions now, they'd probably be a different answer. It's just like you know, you, you feel differently at times as as you get close to the season, as like you see a guy participating in a, a workout, and you're like, hmm, maybe you will do this. Um, it, it it is fun. I almost wish we could stretch it out even longer. I think there would be the same deal as you say. There'd be some sort of burnout period where you know, there's only so much basketball you can talk about when nothing is going on before you start to you know. Uh, to, to go insane, but um, you know, I, I just like that we try to keep the conversation going all year. And like, listen, we're a week away, and we'll finally be able to to have like fresh stuff every day, and that excites me. Um, I, my golf handicap will suffer as the season starts up again, but that's all right. I I, I enjoyed my summer. I enjoyed uh, the benefits that my kids' vacation line up with the sort of the summer downtime. And so we were able to take advantage of that. Um, so yeah, it goes back to like what we talked about. Just kind of find that balance and make sure you, uh, you, 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 you put yourself in position to really enjoy what you do and don't let it affect the fact that, you know, you know, I don't want my kids to ever be like, man, dad, all he does is work. So, um, you, it, it's about finding that proper balance and, uh, and, and making sure you enjoy all aspects of, of both your professional and, uh, away from your professional career. All right. So as we close out the interview, I'm really surprised we've never talked about this before, but, and you've never brought it up, but you, you have this, um, you have this amazing racing career that you've somehow squeezed into your life. And <laughs> I'm, I, I, 
Oh, so you you're aware? I, I wondered if I wondered if I was throwing too much of a no, curve or no. not. But I, it's amazing to uh, me that you're able to write and be like this award winning car racer who grew up not far from me in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. By the way, I'm going to be about five minutes from Doylestown tomorrow for work, which is hilarious. Wow. Well, if you see if you see this other uh, Chris Forsberg, you should talk to him. So I feel bad. This is going to be probably the best story I tell you. Uh, and so your listeners are going to have to get through like an hour and 20 minutes to, to get to this. <laughs> but, um, so like, it, um, I can vividly remember I was back at Boston.com and the globe and we're, I'm sitting there at my desk one day and we used to use AOL instant messenger as sort of an easy way to communicate in house between like the, the five say sports producers that we had on at Boston.com. And it would be as simple as like, Hey, I'm going to get my lunch or Hey, build a Red Fox photo gallery. Um, but my screen name, and this this will not hurt me because uh, if you still use Instant Messenger, you're screwed. But my screen name was just Chris Forsberg. And so one day I got a random uh, I am from a, a name that wasn't on my buddy list or whatever. And it was just like, hey. And so I engaged. I was like, hey. And the guy's like, you a big fan or something? I was like, what? A big fan of what? And he's like, me. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he goes, your screen name. And I, I'm like, dude, I, I don't know where you're going with this. My screen name's my name. He goes, wait, your name's Chris Forsberg too? I'm like, yeah. He goes, oh, I thought you were a fan of me. And it was the race car driver <laughs> messaging me from like some, and his, his screen name was like import turbo 64 or something like this. But there's another Chris Forsberg who has a much better web presence than me. I think it comes up in most searches that doesn't include the word like ESPN or Globe or whatever, uh, who races cars and uh, he looks like a totally badass dude and, 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 and seems really cool. Uh, I think the most frightening thing is I was telling, I remember telling my dad about that conversation and my dad went to the guy's website and punched up like he has a bunch of merchandise on his site and one of them was a t-shirt that had his signature on the sleeve and our signatures were the same. No. Like the way to sign a check. Yeah. Like we both How many have, Chris like, Forsbergs are there in the world? Like, I understand he's famous, <laughs> and you're, you're famous for ESPN Boston work, but, but how, many, how many Chris Forsbergs are there out there? I mean, is it a fairly common name yeah, or not? It, 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 I would say it's fairly common. Like, I don't, you know, Forsberg seems like a pretty popular name in Sweden, and, like, I haven't come across any other, like, Chris Forsberg necessarily uh, out here. But I'll say this, uh, you know, it seems like the way I know is, again, racing to get screen names when new social media pops up. Because now that I have Chris Forsberg, what really began with with AOL Instant Messenger, I've tried to get that for everything I do for, like, all my screen names or whatever I'm associated with. Uh, and I lost that battle on Twitter because some computer nerd in Brazil who hosts like a daily vodcast uh, won that race. So he has the Chris Forsberg name, and he'll go inactive for like stretches, and I keep waiting for him to just like default out and for Twitter to erase his name. Uh, as much as I love having ESPN Forsberg, I would still love to just have my full name, even if it was just for a personal account. Uh, so I, I actually have a, a personal account that I never use that's like backwards, Forsberg underscore Chris or something like that. 
because all the other Chris Forsbergs have eaten up all the, the good names. And I don't feel like I was a late adapter to Twitter. It's just the way it works out. It's like, you know, as soon as one of these things start up, I get a race so that the damn, no, no wonder, no surprise that the auto driver is winning the races for some of these screen names, but it's the guy in Brazil that's really driving me nuts. That's funny because I have definitely done the same thing. Like my email is basically my name and I know there can't be that many Justin Poolins in the world, but I continue to get like, there's this other Justin Poolin and ironically from Maine as well. And his mom has emailed me. I have gotten, he tried to buy a truck and I got the documents from the dealership. Like I've gotten all this information and it all came in one like spurt too. like last, I want to say, Last fall, I got probably in succession over three months about 12 emails. And I just got really, I was like, hey, it happens all the time. Blah, blah, blah. But I'm like thinking to myself, there just can't be that many Justin Poolins that I'm, <laughs> I'm basically living this all, you know, this alternate life. But that's something that 100% comes from social media because if you want to know how many Chris Forsbergs or Justin Poolins there are, all you have to do is search on any one of the social media sites and up pops all of your, I don't want to call them doppelgangers, but what else do we call them, namesakes? I, yeah, you know, right. Who knows? But there, you can, there, you can there actually kind of see. There must, be a, there must be a fun name for it, like people that have the same name as you that you know aren't you or aren't related to you. Uh, I, I, I tell this Yeah, I, this story I call them the contenders. <laughs> Posers. My, my, my mom, my mom, my, my mom's name was Lisa, uh, and we lived in an apartment in my hometown for for a little while, and then uh, we moved out. And my dad's sister, who was also Lisa, and had the same left Forsberg. So essentially, there was two different Lisa Forsbergs that lived at the same address within the like the same five year block or whatever. And so imagine the mail and confusion and like, I mean, it was bizarre. Like they would just get mixed up mail for days. And so, uh, you know, I can't even imagine what that would have been like, but it had to have been easier than, you know, I never received any of, uh, the, the race car drivers checks or anything like that. mail. there is a guy in Wisconsin, uh, who keeps using my email address, which again, just my big block name. And, they, uh, but every time he like reserves a hotel in Wisconsin, I get a confirmation email. So I feel the same way you did when that other Justin Poolin, uh, I like, I just fear when, when I start getting emails from other Chris Forsbergs that are like, uh, you know, did that million dollar check cash, you know, I'm living this amazing life. If there's another Chris Forsberg out there that's like super rich or something, that's when I'll get, I'll get angry. But so far, so far we're just, uh, they, they all seem pretty cool. Yeah, as long as you don't have the, you know, like your name could be Paul Rubens, right? And you could be Joe Schmo Paul Rubens, and then all of a sudden, you know, Pee Wee Herman explodes, and you know, then obviously he's he's arrested. (laughs) You you know, there are names that that maybe you're you're happy you don't you're not synonymous with. You're right. We need to figure out what the term is for somebody else with the same name as you because it's not doppelganger but you know it's not namesake either but um chris it's been a pleasure man this has been a a real fun interview i'm really glad we had you on as we are kind of closing out this off-season interview series and quite frankly i will probably be talking here in the next four to six weeks yet again because as you mentioned training camp is what just a week or so away and we're going to start getting into the meat and potatoes of this 
Woo. I look forward as much as I look forward to talking real hoops again. I'm, I'm thrilled that we got to do this. And uh, same deal as, as as you said about the summer forecast series. I'm really glad you guys did this. I hope you get a bunch more people involved. And uh, I know from a from a listener perspective, it's been cool to hear. You know, again, I interact with a lot of these people on a daily basis, but it's been cool to hear sort of some of their backstory and and learn how they got into this business and stuff like that. So kudos to y'all for doing that. Yeah, it's a fun way to spend the offseason, certainly. All right, everybody, follow Chris Forsberg from ESPN, ESPN Boston. You can follow him on Twitter, at Chris Forsberg. No, I'm just kidding. At ESPN <laughs> Forsberg. Uh, as always, just an awesome guest, and, and we will be having Chris back on the show here coming up uh, in just a short time because training camp is underway. Got a few more off-season interview series to go, but Chris uh, knocking it out of the park today. Thank you, Chris, for coming on. All right, Justin. Thanks again. I'll talk to you real soon. Always love having Chris on the show. Big, big fan of Chris's work over at ESPN Boston. Make sure you head over there. That's going to do it for this week's show. I think we are going to try to put out a second show and, and get that interview with Eric Weiss. I can tell you the first time we recorded it, it was amazing and very, very interesting. So you definitely want to be checking that out. We also have to announce our Fan Essentials winner for this week, which is Micah Sharon at Micah Sharon 2013. So Micah, make sure you're following at CSL underscore tweet live so that we can get you all of the info that you need to redeem your prize. And once again, everybody, thanks for listening to the show. The broadcast is going to be available on demand on the CLNS radio mobile app as well as clnsradio.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at CSL underscore Justin and at CSL underscore Duke. Big thanks to everybody for tuning in. And just a reminder, you can support this show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to give us a rating and a review because your feedback is important to us and it'll help us do a better job and bring you the content that you want to listen to every single week. A reminder that today's show has been brought to you by audible.com and fanessentials.net. They've got a great deal for all of you listeners, but most importantly, you'd be you'd be supporting our show and the entire CLNS radio network. A big thanks to the loyal radio audience who makes all this worthwhile, and for staff writer Eddie Santiago, program director Larry H. Russell, and the founder of CLNS Radio, Nick Gelso, as well as my co-host John Duke, I'm Justin Poulin. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live.